Oh, man. It's going down today, Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you how I'm living. I'm living good. I mean, I lied. I had a lot of stuff going on this week. But guess what? I'm feeling good right now. I'm about to eat good tomorrow. And, man, I need to hear this beat right here. I need to. We got to kick it traditionally right here. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, dogs, chicken, turkeys, rabbits, you name it, look! I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, dogs, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rabbits, you name it! Yes, sir, man. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling the spirit. I'm feeling the holiday spirit. And, man, as we get into this show, we got a loaded show in the sports world. Lots of NFL. We all know that Thanksgiving Day is all about the NFL, but we also got some NBA stuff towards the end of the show. So before we proceed to give you what you need, like and subscribe to the channel to be notified of any new uploaded content that we have coming your way. Myself, Zach, and Zay, we ain't come to play. We come with a lot to say. And with that being said, I'm going to pass over the mic to my guy, Zach, who's on this show. It's been a minute that I actually got to get him on on a afternoon so i'm stoked about that zach what's going on general well what's going on my guy happy to be here as always we spoke about it a little bit prior to the show today but yeah it's my first time in a minute now uh recording back here on uh, 99 not 99 pod with uh in the afternoon and uh it's a holiday weekend coming up a great time just wanted to wish uh, both you guys a happy thanksgiving and uh there are not many better times of year right now especially in sports especially with the world cup going on between that taking place in the winter for the first time ever you have college basketball starting up the nba is here nhl's here and then oh yeah massive weekend of nfl and college football coming up this weekend i can't wait happy to be here as always Happy Thanksgiving, Zach. Happy Thanksgiving to all of y'all. Zay, happy Thanksgiving. Zay, what's going on? What's the vibes looking like today? You know, it's always a great vibe, especially around this time of the year. You know, when I, ever, ever since I was a child, even now, you know, my family always get together. We watch football, and it's always the best times because it's always the family arguing about who's doing good, who's doing bad, who's going to win, why they won. Uh, one of my, some of my fondest moments in life has been because due to Thanksgiving, due to the family coming together, having these particular moments, just having a good time and just being joyful and appreciative of us being around each other. So, you know, um, everyone listening, I hope you're um, able to just have some of those moments this year, despite everything going on. Even if your favorite team's doing horrible, just try to have some good moments with the family. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about sports today, right before Thanksgiving. We have some great topics for everyone, and um, I hope y'all enjoy. Get y'all big chicken leg, sit on that sofa, eat up, and watch some football. Ladies and gents, it's time to get out to the show with our first topic, Away We Go. As you see at the bottom of the screen, we got some breaking news. Yes, it went down today. Adam Schefter with the report. Okay. Are the Jets making a mistake by giving up Zach Wilson? If you don't know, now you know. He was benched today. So, Zach, I'm going to lob you that rock. Are the Jets making a mistake by giving up on Zach Wilson? Yeah, Will. So, I'll start off by saying this. I don't even think this move particularly means the Jets are giving up on Zach Wilson. And a lot of people have said that, but I view this, first of all, as an opportunity for him to learn and to get better because I think a move had to be made, right? That Patriot game on Sunday, it was brutal. The Jets' defense played one of the better games I've seen any defense play in the league 
so far this season, holding the Patriots to only three points. And when I saw this news, I did have a few takeaways. My first one was, I think that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas, with this news, it means that they believe this team is ready to win right now. Because I think this would be a mistake if the Jets season was going nowhere. And if they really didn't have anything to play for, you want to learn as much as you can about your quarterback that you drafted number two overall. But when you look at the Jets and the position they're in now, I don't think even Joe Douglas and Robert Sala themselves thought that the Jets would be this good this quickly this year. And it put Zach Wilson in a little bit of a tricky spot because he's still a young quarterback. It's, it's only his second year. He still has a long career ahead of him. And I don't think this move definitely means he's done as a New York Jet. But when you're in this position, right, you have a team around you that's ready to win. And it's pretty clear to me that Zach Wilson and the quarterback position are the one thing that was holding the Jets back. And it was one thing for him to play terribly on Sunday. But I really think what this move comes down to was his behavior after the game, saying no when he was asked if uh, he believed uh, he let the defense down. Just very nonchalant. That was the most concerning part. Uh, anyone who's listened to the show a long time knows how much I, how much value I put in with the quarterback position and being a good locker room guy. It's one thing to have all the talent in the world. That's great. But at the end of the day, you have to be relatable to your teammates. Your teammates have to like you. And all of the reports we were getting out of that jet locker room was that this was becoming a problem that Zach Wilson walks around the jet locker room and he thinks that he's nowhere close to the problem. Like that can't happen. And I think this move has to be a lesson to him. Like, okay, yeah, we drafted you number two overall. And since the jets drafted Zach Wilson, he's been this franchise's main priority. But with this move, winning is now this franchise's main priority, not the number two overall pick. And I give Robert Sala and Joe Douglas credit for that. I think Robert Sala with this move, it really means to me, he is the right coach for this job. And I believe in him. I think this was a move that had to be made. Zay, you up. Um, you know, I'm going to go against the grain and say it wasn't the right move for the New York Jets. I understand that. When we walked into the season, we saw our, the schedule. But prior to the season, we were like, I don't know how the Jets are going to win two games in 10 weeks just based upon what their schedule was looking like. Um, you know, they outplayed what they outplayed the expectations from Vegas, from everybody in the league. No one thought the Jets would be as good as they are. No one thought that their defense would be as elite as it, as it has been thus far in this season. Um, no one believed Sauce Garner would be one of the uh, top cornerbacks, if not the top cornerback in the NFL. And um, now we have to go to the offense of what's happening there with the big loss of Brees Hall, who nobody anticipated being this electric of a guy in the NFL. They thought he would have a, su a subpar season, but not a season where he's holding the offense by himself, getting hurt. Nobody um, anticipated that happening. And, you know, I told everyone, even on the show, Zach Wilson would need a Jimmy G-like performance for this Jets team to win football games. A, a, a quarterback who doesn't make many mistakes, who doesn't, um turn the ball over and you know against the Patriots unfortunately that's just his thing he likes to turn the ball over he gives the ball to Belichick he's a Belichick guy I truly believe he's a Patriot at heart he wants to be a New England Patriot because the way this guy just gives them the ball is ridiculous you know even when against the Buffalo Bills we saw Zach Wilson play aggressive we saw him as a playmaker we saw him doing these different things but against the Patriots it's a different dynamic and I don't understand why but I say it's the wrong um, decision that Robert Sala made is because the offensive line allows quarter, the quarterback to get hit. You know, the offensive line lets pressure come through. And I think when you look at Joe Flacco and Mike White, they are not quarterbacks that are mobile. Once the pocket collapses, they are on the ground. They are not 
um, making positive plays. They're not scrambling out. They are essentially sitting ducks. And, you know, I understand that we want Zach Wilson to play a lot better. We want him to take accountability in the locker room. And I understand this is a lesson for him to learn that you have to be a lot better than what you are. You have to understand deep into your core, you need to be better. But when you're talking about um, potentially winning more football games, there's probably three quarterbacks. There's no quarterback on this Jets team that you could say is um, the winning plays winning football, essentially. Because when Joe Flacco played the first three games, he had a lot of three and outs, in the, like almost all in the first half. You know, he didn't start turning it up until garbage time when the team was down two touchdowns. And then he started throwing the football, getting yardage, getting touchdowns. Um, and when you look at what this roster has, you know, they are a devoid of a quarterback at this current time that could elevate their play on offense. You know, the offense is going to be stagnant no matter who the quarterback is just because there's so many issues on offense that needs to be rectified. You know, the receiving core is good. The running backs do what they need to do. But the quarterback on offensive line are the two issues on this team that they can't fix currently, especially with all the injuries happening on the offensive line. So, you know, I call, I say the wrong decision because um, one thing about Zach Wilson is he's able to evade the hit. He's able to evade defenses. And that's something that Joe Flacco and Mike White can't do. I mean, look, I think both of y'all had a good take. You know, I think for me to split the difference here, it's tough. I'm actually split in my mind. So I'm going to just say a quick take and try to see what side of the island I would end up on and whose island am I going to be on, Zach or Zay. I mean, look, when you think about everything and the whole dynamic of the situation, Zay, you actually proposed a question a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if you remembered. And at first, I kind of dismissed the question. In my mind, I'm like, ah, a lot of things going on in sports. I don't think we got time to address that. But the more and more I actually looked at that question, that and that question stayed with me for the last couple of weeks leading up to this show. And that question was, how much patience should franchises have with their young quarterbacks whom they drive with high picks? And I thought that was a very good question because when you digest that, it's like we live in this time right now where I can see both sides. I can see where you should be patient with a quarterback. I can see why you shouldn't be patient with a quarterback. For example, there's a lot of money that has to be made at some point. You look at the quarterback market. I know four years seem like a long time, but four years is it's going to come. Trust me. I remember four years ago like it was yesterday. Okay, it's going to come, and you're going to have to make financial investments and know deep down is the guy that you have on your team the right guy for the job. And because of that, I see coaches – you know, like, yo, if you're not ready to play, I'm trying to win games. We know how the coach's job security is in today's era of sports. It's not secure. So coaches are deemed with impossible tasks of making the guard for the decision, whether to pull the trigger, next man up, or I right, we rock with this dude. Think about Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. A lot of people had an issue with him being dealt, you know, um, from Cleveland because he had the one bad year under Freddie Kitchens. Then he had the good year under Kevin Skafanski. Then he had the injury-riddled year with the shoulder. And people was like, oh, should we give him another year? But then we see him go to Carolina. We see how that looks, you know. But it's a lot of dynamics here. I think for me, I'm probably going to side with Zach here in this retrospect. I do think if you're Robert Sala, you know, the locker room was frustrated. And you have to make a choice. And it's not going to be an easy choice. But I, where I do disagree with Zach is that I do think when you make this choice, it's going to have to be a choice that you're going to have to live with for the foreseeable future because there's something called confidence and people can lose that. That's just a natural human art 
of you know confidence and losing it. So I disagree with him in that way. Like, yeah, obviously you can always go back to Zach Wilson. A quarterback is injured. Of course, Zach Wilson is on the bench. You're going to roll with him, you know, knock on wood there. But at the same time, if this is a decision that you made, you're going to have to live with that, in my personal opinion. But I do agree with Zach that it probably was the right one because I think if you're the Jets, you may have to look into the future. Now, before I even get to the future, I'm going to save that for my second go-round. I would say this. When you talk about Zach Wilson's disastrous performance last week, his footwork was off, okay? He wasn't seeing the field right. His vision was off. He was Ray Charles out there. He was seeing ghosts like Sam Donald. But that wasn't the first quarterback to see ghosts against the New England Patriots. Sam Donald was, you know, one of the quarterbacks who couldn't see right against the Patriots. So, yeah, the Patriots do offer something from a stylistic standpoint defensively that offsets a lot of quarterbacks with them. But at the same time, Mike LaFleur did give um, Zach White, I said Zach White, Zach Wilson, an opportunity to have layup throws, and all those layup throws was incompletions. I'm talking about first down throws where you get it out and try to make a play. Those were incompletions. So, look, I'm not sure on the roster Joe Flacco can do the job. I think he's washed up. I do think not him not being mobile makes him a sitting duck. I'm not sure about Mike White. He could be Walter White. He could be the Heisenberg of the NFL. Shout out to Breaking Bad, my favorite show, greatest show of all time, right? He could be that guy. I don't know. But something had to be done. A message had to be approved and pointed to the locker room. And Robert Sala delivered that message today. Yeah, I'll throw this at you guys. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Tua's rookie year with him and Ryan Fitzpatrick when the Dolphins kept on going back and forth uh, when it came to the quarterback position. And when it comes to Zach Wilson, like I understand, again, he's in a tough spot. But when you're an NFL quarterback, you're going to face adversity a lot of the times. And after Sunday, based on his postgame press conference, Zach Wilson did not handle that adversity well. And I think this decision, it's going to show me a lot about him. Is this kid capable of bouncing back in the tough moments and learning? And like, we'll see what his future holds because I, it's going to be Mike White starting against the Chicago Bears on Sunday. And I think it's interesting with him. He did play really well in his limited time last season. And then he got uh, hurt uh, during that Thursday night game against the Colts, where the Jets were actually winning at the time when he left the game. And he hasn't played since. I don't believe he's been given a fair shot. I also believe the reason, or at least part of it, why Joe Flacco started this season week one under center when Zach Wilson was hurt was because I think the Jets front office, they kind of realized a little bit like, wow, Mike White, why does he look like the better quarterback than the kid we took number two overall in the draft? And that's a massive problem. And Joe Douglas has done a great job building this roster with a great defense. And even with some guys hurt, like he's done a great job building the roster. But if he didn't get that quarterback pick right with the second pick, then it almost leaves you wondering, like, okay, what's going to happen? And one last point I'll make, like, the fact that we're already talking about Jets quarterback options for next season, and when you tell any Jet fan, like, oh, Jimmy G, Derek Carr, they get excited because if those guys were under center for this Jet team, there's a good chance they're 8-2 and two right now. Well, quickly here, Zay, before you get back in here, right, because I do want to pick up about the free agent class in a minute. I do – Want to highlight this point, though? I think if you're the Jets, there has to be a level of blame from ownership that has to be accepted. You talk about Zach Wilson, you know, not being accountable. I think that's what the organization should do as well, because you had the chance. You watched the tape. 
You had the n- number two overall pick. You could have got Jamal Chase. You could have got a bevy of guys. You decided that Zach Wilson was your guy. And for every Patrick Mahomes there is, because a lot of people, they see Patrick Mahomes and they want to build something similar to Patrick Mahomes. For every Patrick Mahomes, there's a Johnny Manziel. Okay, guys with similar skill sets that are on two different sides of the universe. Okay, and I think that when they was watching film, they saw Patrick Mahomes. But in all truth, it might have been Johnny Manziel they were seeing out there. But it's not only a shot at Zach Wilson. I look at this quarterback class that he was out of, and the highest QBR there from any quarterback in that class is Justin Fields. And that's number 14. That's the middle of the pack. So that whole entire class has been abysmal. But, you know, depending on the situation, depends on whether or not a team will be more lenient with you and have more patience with you. Clearly, Trevor Lawrence is still living off his name and likeness, okay, being the generational prospect. Justin Fields has shown improvements, but I asked him to throw from the pocket, okay? He's not going to be able to throw from the pocket. So I can see different sides of the spectrum, but at the end of the day, you are in New York. We know how the New York market is in the media. They will eat you alive. They will run you out of town. I'm surprised he didn't leave town already after last Sunday. But I do want to pick up with the class, and then I pass it back to whoever wants it. I think, Zach, you mentioned some good names, Derek Carr, you know, Jimmy G, possibly Lamar Jackson, right? Look around that situation. He turned down $250 million from the Ravens, said, I don't want your money. You got to come better than that. Maybe you look over there. Maybe hypothetically, you go after the guy on my wall, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, the guy that taught you, gave you nightmares for the better part of two decades. He's probably going to be, not probably, he's going to be a free agent. Who knows if he's retiring or not? I have my conspiracy theories on that. I don't think he is. You know, I think that relationship with Giselle and that breakup is allowing him to play more years. I think so, right? He's still on top of his game. Why not go after him, you know, and try to go all in? For that one or two more years that you have him, listen, there's a lot of options. So because you have those options on the back end is why I'm siding with Zach here. You know, I think it's going to be interesting because if Mike White does play out and wins this starting quarterback job, then you have no choice but to just let Zach Wilson rot, I guess, on the roster or not sign him back or whatever. Because it gets to the point where they're talking about, uh, at least in the press conference, like, oh, we're willing to see, we're hoping to see Zach Wilson later this season. Like, what if Mike White wins out the job and just does lights out amazing these next couple weeks? What if he just wins the job completely and everything goes great? When, at what particular time does anybody want to see Zach Wilson after seeing if Mike White does the job well or if Joe Flacco comes back and he does the job well, whoever it may be? So it, it's getting to the point where it's like, this is this has to be, the, the that was the curtain call for Zach Wilson. Like, it, it's done for him because if... Mike White does well, and they go to the playoffs, then why would anybody want to see Zach Wilson? You know, I think the only time you want to see Zach Wilson is if everything is going left again, if Mike White's not doing well, if Joe Flacco not doing well. If they're both putting in similar numbers with a high number of sacks, then maybe I bring Zach Wilson back in. That's probably the only way you bring him back in because there's no way if we're in a winning situation that you bring Zach Wilson back in the game. Yeah, and it's interesting. Joe Flacco is actually going to be active on Sunday backing up Mike White, so Zach Wilson will not be – in uniform on Sunday, which I do find interesting. Quickly, though, I wanted to respond to one thing Will said when he mentioned uh, about the Jets' front office and their organization taking accountability for really uh, drafting the wrong quarterback with the number two pick. And honestly, like, I think that's what this move is. They're taking accountability, saying, we screwed up. We took the wrong quarterback with the number two pick, and this franchise could win now 
everything is not about the quarterback right now. It's about putting this team in the best position to win. And I think with this move, that's exactly what Robert Salat did. And honestly, when it comes to Zach Wilson's future, like, yeah, it's concerning right now. There are a ton of questions, but I think me and every other Jet fan right now, they're just focused on the Chicago Bears on Sunday and the rest of the season and hopefully getting this team to the playoffs for the first time uh, since 2010. I mean, look, to, to close, I think um, trying to take accountability, I see that side, but it's like the only thing you can say is my bad. Like, what else could you say? If Mike White turns out to be good and he wins games, then obviously that's going to be looked upon as a great organizational decision. But if he's trash, if he's not the Heisenberg of the NFL, if Joe Flacco can't get the job done, let's say if he comes in the game at some point because he's benched, then the only thing that's left to say to your franchise is my bad. I got it wrong. And that's that's your bad. And you got to leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to the next topic that we have here on today's show, on today's rundown. And we got to talk some more football because the best team in the NFC is yet to be known. We don't know who the best team is in the NFC. But if we want to guess based on what we saw thus far, because one thing about Thanksgiving and why I love this topic so much is the fact of the matter is you have to be playing your best football now. Now is where the road to the playoffs begin. So, Zay, I'll start off with you. The NFC's best team right now is who? Oh, that's a great question. The NFC's best team right now, um, due to consistency, I would have to say the Philadelphia Eagles. I think right now they are the best team. Um, offensively, they, they're very stout. You see a lot of different actions and moves that, that Nick Sirianni plays, and he's very trusting in the players. Uh, you see that um, he allows Jalen Hurts to do as he does best, which is improvise. You know, I think that that's great trust between the court, the coach and the quarterback. Um, you know, you have a lot of weapons on that Eagles offense and then the defense. You know, they keep adding defensive linemen week to week. I feel like I think the last couple of weeks they added a new defensive lineman, you know, just to bolster and trying to strengthen the, the run defense of that team because the pass defense is already pretty good, in my opinion. Um, you know, for me. I would have to go to Philadelphia Eagles, but it was a very close tie between them and the, the, the Vikings. If the Vikings didn't get killed 40-3 that last week, I would have definitely had the Vikings as the number one team. But right now I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Zach, the mic is yours. Yeah, so I'm going to agree with Zay on this one and say the Eagles. And I'll say this, right? Philadelphia, they get off to this great start. It looks like they're just never going to lose. And we all knew eventually, like they were going to lose at least a couple games. But what I'm so impressed with, uh, with the Eagles, they just find ways to win. And it's always a different way, whether it's leading a 16 yard, eight minute drive uh, against the Cardinals, whether it's winning games in a shootout, whether it's winning games in low scoring fashion, this team is just very versatile. And on Sunday against the Colts, I think that performance showed a lot to me because really the Colts for the first three and a half quarters of that game were the better team. They were winning 14, three going into the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden we're asking ourselves like, are the Jeff Saturday-led Colts really about to start 2-0 and and beat the number one seed in the NFC? <clears throat> Excuse me, the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's not what happened. Jay <clears throat> Excuse me, Jalen Hurts, he wouldn't let that happen. And that was really impressive for me, that touchdown run to win the game. And there aren't many quarterbacks in the league that I trust in crutch time more right now than Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown's a little banged up. I think he'll be good. I also love the aggressiveness uh, in the trade market and free agency, bringing in Linval Joseph, bringing in Adam Kinsu when it was clear their run defense was concerned. I, <coughs> I would say the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. 
I will have to say for me, the best team in the NFC thus far, I will have to say the Cowboys. Um, the reason why I say so is because I like the fact that when you look at their roster, and I do agree that Jalen Hurts is probably the better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I know I came out last week and called Dak Prescott overrated. So, Lil, there's a conflict of interest. You think Dak Prescott is overrated, but you think the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC. How could that be? Well, because I think they have all the components to make sure that Dak Prescott could be kind of babied and, and, and sheltered in a way from making those mistakes, right? I think sometimes they allow him to do too much to the point where you see those mistakes, but I think they are learning or they should learn. They should learn by now that they have a formula to win, the same formula that they used when Dak Prescott wasn't there with Cooper Rush, and that is run the rock with your two backs and Tony Pollard and Zeke. You know, the fact of the matter is when you're able to do that, you're doing two things at once, right? You are keeping the opposing quarterback on the bench. So hypothetically, Eagles versus the Cowboys, which is going to be coming up soon, you can keep Jalen Hurts on that bench. So yeah, he may be the better quarterback, but if he's on the bench for a substantial amount of time during the game, there's only but so much he can do from the bench. Now, you also, at the same time, is limiting turnovers from Dak Prescott, a guy who I really don't trust like that. Like, he made some good plays against the Vikings, so I take that Dak, but there's times where you look at the Packers and he loses a game, throw two interceptions, one in the red zone when you're trying to put them out. I think they have played great football as of late. They made the biggest statement this past weekend by obliterating the Vikings 40-3. to I picked them to win that game, but I did not think that that game was going to turn out that way. And, you know, they got to the quarterback. The secondary, obviously, could be a little bit overrated at times, but when you're able to disrupt things at the line of scrimmage, that can help your secondary. I always tell people this. If there's one thing that I want on my defense to be the best spot of my team, right? Clear, I want every... I want my D-line to be as great as my secondary. I want everything to be great. But if there's one particular unit that I would choose to be the best at on that side of the ball is my defensive line. I got to get to the quarterback. I got to create turnovers. And that's exactly what they did last week. That's exactly what I think they're going to continue to do. And that's why, you know, Lil, playoffs, do you trust them? I'm not sure I do. But right now, I'm just looking at it from right now. I think they are the best team in the NFC. All right, let's move on to the next joint that we have here. Who is the NFC's most dangerous team? And I would love to start that one off. I would love to start that one off. I'm going to go Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they are the most dangerous team in the NFC. I see Z Zay smile on his face right now, but let me explain, right? Let me get this word on this mic. The reason why I do is because we are starting to get our rhythm back. We are starting to get our rhythm back. Rashard White, my guy. We finally allowed him to start. About damn time, Mr. Brian Letrich. Okay, he started last week. I believe he played over 21 snaps. He over, he had over 100 yards. He looked good. He looked shifty. He looked, he looked explosive. And um, Leonard Fournette was just not getting the job done, right? He looks good. Um, Julio Jones still looks explosive and has signified his third spot as a third receiver on this team. Okay, hopefully he stays on the field. Chris Godwin played his best game, okay? Another couple weeks removed, or should I say couple months removed from that ACL injury. He played his best game heading into what was a bye. So we won two straight games heading into a bye. We should be playing better 
off that bye. And Tom Brady is one of those guys that you don't want to see off a bye because of all the preparation he puts in film, etc., practice, whatever, walkthroughs, you know it. Okay, so I think because we are playing better heading into that bye, guys are getting healthy, rhythm is coming back, chemistry is coming back, is why I think we are dangerous. Tell me, do you want to see Tom Brady in the playoffs? You could probably nitpick at any hole we have right now because we're clearly not a perfect team. We are playing better, but we're not perfect. I get it. Offensive line, terrible. I get it. Injuries is always a concern for any team, for that matter. But do you really want to see Tom Brady in the playoffs? Just answer that question. Do you want to see him in the playoffs? Because if you do, you got a Cancun wish on your hands. You want to go to Cancun. You don't want to see the GOAT in the playoffs. And that's why for any team, I don't care where we seated. If you have to play Tampa Bay and Tom Brady in the first round of the playoffs, you should be scared. I don't care who you are. And that's why they're the most dangerous team for me in the NFC. Look, let me, I mean, uh, Zach, let me get in here real quick. Um, you know, I understand those points. You know, I understand completely. You know, you got Tom Brady on the wall, so you have to say, you know, Tom Brady watching right now. You know, Tom Brady, how you doing? You know, you got to make sure a little doesn't disappoint. You know, matter make sure he says all his bucks takes. But we're going to go with this team. You know, I think I understand what you're saying. With Tom Brady being the guy in the playoffs, I think the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs in the NFC is the San Francisco 49ers, and I have them as the most dangerous team in the NFC. Um, this team is getting healthier. Um, as the weeks go on, their defense is stout. And then when you add McCaffrey and Debo Samuel in the backfield, along with Jimmy G, able to just make the throws. He had four touchdowns the last, last time we just saw him. And his ability to make the throws and get his guys open is, is just, you know, it's dangerous. You know, Nobody wants to see them in the playoffs because their defense is so good. Their defense is what stops everybody and creates more possessions for the 49ers. All Jimmy G needs to do is get the ball down the field and at least kick a field goal and get points on the board because the 49ers are able to stop um, the opponent's best at weapons. On, on offense. And you saw what happened with the um, Hopkins. You know, everybody was was mauling him, essentially. And the guy couldn't get open, couldn't do anything. You know, um, so I think when you look at what this 49ers team is capable of doing, what they've been capable of doing the last probably, what, five, six years now is to play defense and then put points on the board. And I think that's something that you have to be wary of in the playoffs. That's the scariest thing about the 49ers is their ability to just create stops great just amazing plays on defense and then just move the chains and keep the time of possession on their side to remove the opponent's um offense off the field so for me i'm going with the san francisco 49ers as the most dangerous team in the nfc currently yeah zay and i are actually sharing a brain today because i agree with him i think it's the 49ers as well but i'll say this on the bucks like i would i'm, I'm probably more scared of them than other teams in the nfc like dallas minnesota seattle but i just need to see a stretch like three, four games of consistently really good football because I haven't seen that so far uh, from the Buccaneers so far this season. I was impressed with their effort in Seattle or against Seattle and Germany. I think that was their best game of the season, but they were fortunate to win that Rams game. That was just an awful football game that honestly both teams deserve to lose. So I will say this about the 49ers. Um, their weapons are just insane. The impact McCaffrey's making, you could really see it. Uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle looking like himself on Monday night against the Cardinals. And I don't necessarily think like that win was like huge per se. Like my opinion on the 49ers was kind of made up before then, but at the same time, it is really refreshing and good to see them just step on on an opponent's throat, say, we're not messing around. This is not, you're not winning this game. And the Cardinals never really had a chance. And the key to the 49ers, like we all know it, it's Jimmy Garoppolo. If he comes to play and he plays well, then the 49ers could beat anyone. They have, maybe the most talented roster one to 53 in the league. 
And I do trust Kyle Shanahan in a big game, in a big spot. But it just comes down to Jimmy G. If he could just play good football with these weapons, I think this 49er defense can compete with anyone. And I think they are the most dangerous team in the NFC. I'm with Zach. Zach, I'm going to keep it with you. Who's the NFC's most fraudulent team? Yeah, guys, this was a pretty easy one for me. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. I've never seen a team be 8-2 and two with a negative point differential. And seven of their eight wins have come by one possession. And I do think that's impressive, right? Like, it is a skill to win close games. But we saw on Sunday, the Vikings were due to lose a game. And it's not the fact that they lost. But that game was just never particularly close. And they have a ton of talent, but I don't trust their head coach. He's a first-year head coach that's done a really good job so far over there in Minnesota. A clear upgrade over Mike Zimmer. And I think the Vikings have had a really good season. Like, Kevin O'Connell should be in the conversation for coach of the year. But on the biggest stage in the biggest game, do I trust Kirk Cousins? No. Do I trust this Vikings team? No. I think they are the most fraudulent team in the NFC. I think for me to answer that question, I'm going to go with the Giants of New York. I think when you talk about just them, their offense runs through Saquon Barkley. It flows through him. And I'm not sure if that's a formula to win deep in January where your running back is your best player because you can easily – not easily, obviously, there's game planning, but you can take him out of the game plan. And once you do that, like the Lions did, you force Daniel Jones to make a play. As much as I defended Daniel Jones, number one, he's not a superstar. Number two, you don't have any weapons. Who is your wide receivers, my guy? Wide receiver hurt, and they don't even have a lot. Okay, that's like a homeless man giving to another homeless man. You don't have anything to give. So when I look at the Giants right now, and no shots at the homeless people, you know what I'm saying? Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. You know, I just wanted to make that example. But when you are the Giants and you look at the Lions, who y'all played last week, they have given up the most points, the Lions, 29.3, the most yards per game, 416.2. And yet, you cannot generate offense, any offense. Daniel Jones, I give him credit. He has limited his turnovers. And I really feel that if he didn't, they would be losing a lot more games. So I give him credit on that. But in this game, two interceptions, right? I'm not sure if the way how they're winning, which is very Saquon-centric and very Daniel Jones-scramble-centric, is a way to win deep in January if they get there, that is. So I'm going to go with the Giants. Zay, quickly before you hop in, I'll say this about the Giants. I'll throw this question to both you guys. Do you think they're a lock to make the playoffs? That would be my first question. And the reason why I didn't put them into this category was because I think most people realize, like, yeah, this Giant team has had, has done a great job this season, and they've overachieved for a while. But, like, I don't know if anyone's really expecting them to do anything after the regular season or even make the playoffs just because, like, you look at their roster, it's not as good compared to the other teams they're uh, playing against. So do you guys think the Giants are a lot to make the playoffs? Nah, I don't, th I don't think so at all. But their record right now is kind of why I think they're frauds because, you know, there's a saying, I forgot who said it, you are what your record says you are. That's not always the case. And that's why they are my team. That's fraudulent. You know, uh, for me, I think this is going to shock a lot of people, but I actually have the Seattle Seahawks as the team that's the most fraudulent. You know, I think they had a good little run. I think Geno Smith is playing better than anticipated or expected. Um, but I think that's what it is. They're just playing above expectation and anticipations. I mean, they're giving up 241 points thus far in the season. That's a lot of points, to say the least. I think that's probably the top 10 in points given up um, in the NFL thus far. And, you know, I understand they're putting points on the board. They got fortunate with Kenneth Walker being the guy he was after Penny went out. 
And, um, you know, I think when we talk about the Seahawks in, in its entirety, you know, I think they just had some lucky, fortunate wins um, in, in their stadium, you know, against the Giants. You know, it could, there's a lot of games where they played guys who were just mightily hurt. The Giants roster is ridiculous. They have so many injured guys on that team. You could form a roster just based upon the injuries that they have on that team alone. Um, so it's something that um, the Seahawks were fortunate enough. They had to face a lot of teams who were just hurt early on. Um, and I think, you know, they're just, for me, fraudulent. I, I don't see them as a team that's going to go far, especially in the next coming weeks in December and January. I think we're going to see a lot more losses happening in Seattle. Zay, I'm going to keep it with you. Let's move on to the next joint that we have here. The NFC's most disappointing team is who? Um, you know, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think, you know, the, the division's a layup. I think there's, there's a division that they should have easily taken. They should have more wins than they have, being 5-5. Five and five, I understand that they have injuries taking place, but when you have Tom Brady on the team, you have a lot more anticipations and expectations. Um, You know, you have you more – at least when you see Tom Brady on the team, you expect him to be the general, the, the guy who's leading the pack, the guy who's moving the offense around and flowing. And uh, for me – you know, scoring 183 points and having the least amount of points scored in your division is not, um, you know, promising. It's actually very disappointing. Even if they are number one in that division, like I said, the division is a kind of lackluster, very lackluster to say the least. And I believe that Tom Brady should be doing a lot more than what he is. You know, I think the Buccaneers in entirety should be doing a lot more than what they're doing. And everyone in that locker room knows it and believes it. So for me, I think the most disappointing team of this um, NFC is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to go ahead and disagree. I just think that Zay did that to get at me. You know what I'm saying? But it's all good. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals as my most disappointing team in the NFC this year. Now, I know what a lot of people may be thinking. You know, was there any expectations for the Cardinals this year? Because you can look at a team like the Green Bay Packers and say, well, most people, as I'm getting a call, I don't know why I'm getting a call, but um, we're going to continue with what we got to continue with it's Sorry Tom Brady that. calling to make sure why why I said his name <laughs> that's what it was no 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 he's calling he's calling to see what you guys are saying so but anyway I think for me it's the Arizona Cardinals because when you look at this team in particular even though there wasn't a lot of expectations there was more expectations for the Packers that's where the Cardinals should have made a point improved the point right we know D Hop was going to be suspended for six games right we know the talk of the town you're not good without D Hop y'all always fall to towards the end how about we start off fast, like how we normally start off, and prove the doubt is wrong? They didn't. Okay. Um, when you look at this team, I want to start off with Kyler Murray because I do think it's unfair that everybody, most people, when you ask them who is the biggest culprit on why the Cardinals are not successful, they would throw out Kyler, right? They would throw you Kyler's name. And I saw that Monday Night Football telecast, and they literally obliterated this guy. Now, when you go to Kyler Murray and his lack of film and attention and detail, anytime you have a quarterback that's willing to put in the work outside of the game, that's your ideal build to be a quarterback from just a off the field perspective. Those are the guys who you really, really want to coach. Right. But at the same time, a lot of people said to me, well, Brady, Peyton Manning, they watch film. Yeah, they had to. They wasn't great after the broken play. They didn't have any physical attributes. They couldn't run. They couldn't literally create after the structure of the play like that. Kyla had that candid ability to scramble. You could run a whole offense through his skill sets. Justin Fields, for example, and I don't want to, I don't want to bash anybody's name to make my point a valid point. I think Justin Fields, we got to give him time, but ask him to throw 30 times a game. He's not doing it and you're not going to win. 
But the fact of the matter is Matt Eberflus saw that, okay, he has this profound, candid athleticism. We're going to run our offense through him and do what he likes to do. You can run a whole offense just like that. You don't really need to watch as much film. So I think it's unfair that we just put the blame on him. Like, yes, he has to be a better teammate. He has to communicate better. All those things, I get it. But it's not only him. Cliff Kingsbury, do I have to remind you his record in college? How many games he won in college? Like, nah, he's not perfect. He's not a perfect coach. Um, Steve Klein, the roster is not really that talented. The roster is just incomplete. So when you combine those three things, it's like it's very frustrating if you're a Cardinals fan, especially when you showed promise the last couple of years and you wasn't able to build off that. Now Kyler Murray's expensive. How are you going to fix a talented roster or a lack of talented roster? How are you going to fix that when you don't got no money? Okay, at least the Packers, they won a Super Bowl with a cheap Aaron Rodgers. You didn't win nothing with Kyler Murray with his cheap. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals as my most disappointing team. Zach, the mic's yours. Yeah, so just responding uh, to that about the Cardinals, they extended their head coach, their GM, and their quarterback in the offseason when they really didn't have to. They just did that for no reason. They had one of their best years in recent memory last year, so they overreact there. In their last 17 games, they're 5-12. and 12. They've also had two coaches fired for sexual misconduct in the last year. They also, their quarterback, he's screaming at his head coach on the sideline every time I see. And players are making business decisions on the field, like we saw with George Kittle in that Monday night game. I think Cliff Kingsbury has to go. I agree with you. He is obviously a culprit here. But the issue is when you're paying your franchise quarterback so much money, the reason why you're doing that is because you think he's able to succeed while facing that adversity. And clearly, we have no evidence that Kyler Murray is able to do that. So I think and the that's why, and that's why they're disappointing because those are the points I wanted to bring up, but I forgot because they're making money and you just paid your coach. Yeah. And I like, I think the Cardinals, yeah, Cliff is probably going to be fired, but I think they're going to try to trade Kyler Murray this offseason too because this contract, it just looks that bad. And I know usually it's the head coach that gets the blame. I think Cliff will be gone. But yeah, it's been a brutal season uh, with the Cardinals. For my most disappointing team in the NFC, and there were a ton of options, like there were at least three, four teams I was thinking about choosing, but I'll stay in the NFC West and I have to go uh, with the defending Super Bowl champions, the Los Angeles Rams, because I've never seen a team that's won a Super Bowl just to deteriorate this quickly. And I understand that the Rams took a little bit of a different approach when they were building their Super Bowl roster. They were as aggressive as I've ever seen anyone uh, when it came to building their roster and trading for Von Miller, bringing in OBJ, uh, trading for Jalen Ramsey, trading for Matthew Stafford. Like this team just does not have any picks. And I think eventually it was going to fall apart. I don't think they were just going to win 10, 11 games every year. But the fact that it all happened this quickly, it just shows their lack of roster depth. Uh, I am a big Sean McVay fan. I think he's one of the better coaches in football, but I'm just not really sure if he is still into it, if his heart is still into it. And it's crazy because he's still a young guy. He hasn't been coaching for too long, but he could have been in the Amazon booth every Thursday night instead of coaching the Los Angeles Rams uh, this season. And I think that decision, like he might, he definitely is weighing it right now. Like, did I make the right decision? I'm not even 100% sure if he's going to be coaching uh, the LA Rams next year. And I know they won a Super Bowl last year, so it's really hard to just completely uh, throw them under the mud. But at the same time, never in a million years would I think the LA, LA Rams would be this bad. So they are my most disappointing team in the NFC. I'm glad that Zay is found because he was missing on that particular joint right there. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. The AFC, we moving into the AFC, the same game, the same flow. The AFC's best team is 
and I would love to do the honors. I'm going to go with the Titans. I think they're the best team in the AFC. I love the physicality that they bring to the game on both sides. The way how they rush the rock, ground and pound. The way how they wear you down on that side of the ball. You stack the box at Henry. He gets better as the game prolongs. Okay, he just turns into Iron Man, Thanos, as the game goes on. Defensively, what they can do, they get up all in your grill. The real lid was on the mic. I love what they do and the physicality that they bring to the game. Kansas City will never tell you this, and they shouldn't, right? They have dominated the AFC. They are dominating. They won their division already. They will not tell you this, though. They fear the Titans. They don't want to see the Tennessee Titans because they have their numbers. And they, they have their number, and they're not scared of them, right? If Tannehill plays in that game, and... Even if he doesn't, if the coach is a little bit more aggressive, run a couple more pass plays for, you know, um, Mac, Malik Willis, you win that game. That's the game you win. Okay. And now you're looking pretty. Listen, I think we need to have an honest conversation about Mike Vrabel and a very good conversation, right? I know I sounded like honest conversation. He's going to say something bad. No, I'm doing the opposite. We need to have an honest conversation. This guy might be the best coach in football. He might just be like anytime. They are undermanned. They could be undermanned. They could be undervalued. They could be, you know, Vegas thinks they're going to lose. They always find ways to win and be relevant. And it's not always pretty. It wasn't pretty. This is as worst they're going to get. They were playing their worst football. They only lost three games. I see Traylon Burks. He's looking like a stud out there. I love what I saw in that one game in particular against the Packers because I was worried about him and his conditioning. He showed me something, had over 100 yards, made some plays down the field, and those are the plays that you like to see because now they can obviously pass the rock off a of play action with Derrick Henry. I think the Titans are the best team in the AFC. Yeah, so I'll say this about the Titans, right? They've been really impressive, and maybe like Rabel definitely actually does deserve to be in that coach of the year conversation because after they traded AJ Brown, the consensus opinion going into the season was, okay, it's just a rebuilding year. The Titans have been really good uh, the last few years getting the number one seed and they're sitting right now uh, at the top of the AFC South at seven and three really respect them for that. But again, like I know this isn't everything, but I think it says a lot. Like I look at their point differential and they're only plus eight. Like they've just had a few second halves this season where it's just been brutal. Like I went when, against the Broncos a few weeks ago. That game was just painful to watch. And again, like I think they're going to win the AFC South. They're a threat. Like they're definitely going to be uh, right in that conversation. But for me, it's hard not to say Kansas City uh, is the best team in the AFC right now. Watching that game on Sunday night against the Chargers, Justin Herbert leaves the Chargers down the field for a great drive to give them the lead. But did anyone have any doubts that Patrick Mahomes was going to leave the Chiefs right back down the field for the game-winning touchdown? And I know Kansas City lost Tyreek Hill. There were plenty of concerns about this this offense and how it would look without him. But Travis Kelsey, he, will, he keeps getting better. I don't know how long this dude's prime is. It feels like it's seven years already, but he is just elite. He kills the Chargers every time they face him. And with Kansas City too, like I was impressed. Juju's out. Uh, they're missing. Tony gets hurt. Like they're missing a ton of their guys and they still find a way to win and really wrap up the division. Uh, like Will said, I mean, the NFC West or the AFC West, excuse me, just spent so much money in the off season trying to catch the Chiefs. And still they have the division wrapped up before Thanksgiving. And uh, it's looking like Kansas City is going to get home field advantage in the AFC again. I think that's huge here. Like Buffalo literally went into Kansas City again for the second straight year in the regular season and beat them. And it's looking like they're going to fumble home field advantage again. That's unacceptable. And I just trust Kansas City the most. 
you know, y'all both gave two um, very great options, and you know, I'm still weighing it over, but I kind of lean towards um, the Tennessee Titans. Um, that gritty football they play is just something that we have yet to see consistently um, from a football team this year. And I think the Tennessee Titans have done that on a week to week basis. Just offensively, they run it down, you know, run it into your chest every play, uh, damn near. Even if when Ryan Tannehill's not in, you know, Derrick Henry's still super effective and still able to go through. They just got Traylon Burks back, a guy, him and George Pickens, two guys I said they might be the two, two best receivers in football. I mean, two best receivers in the rookie class, excuse me, not football, in their rookie class coming into the draft. Um, you know, and they're they're really electric players. You know, I think Traylon Burks in his first game back, he had like 100 receiving yards, I believe, or 90 receiving yards. I forgot how many, but it was a high number in his first game back. Um, you know, their defense is just is just bully. It's a bu- it's a bully mentality all throughout the entire um football team, and they just try to kind of diminish their opponents physically, take them out the game where they're not really into it. Like after the halftime, like all right, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> like I don't want to I want to hit this guy again for another 20 minutes. Uh, so, you know, I think another you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, so for me, it's close though, because the Jack, the chiefs, they, they just know how to pass the ball. The X knows that that system is just so easy. I thought without Tyreek Hill, that our receivers would be nonchalant. They'll be, um, you know, non-existent, but even when guys being out on Kansas city chiefs, um, offense, they're still just patching in, just throwing in guys like sporadically and they're able to get their numbers. They're able to just open the field up for Kelsey. They're able to just give um a homes that time in the pocket to just allow them to move. So I think, you know, for me, uh the Tennessee Titans is a team that shocked me the most, but they're probably the best team in AFC currently just based off their um their premise and what their goal is. And that's just to take the other team out physically and they allow them to just keep running it up the chest for 60 minutes for a full football game, which I love to see. I'll say this guys, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I still have some PTSD <laughs> from that playoff game. Uh, with the Titans against the Bengals last year because the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC last year, right? I don't think they could have been in a better situation having home field with Joe Burrow and the Bengals coming to town. And if you remember, like that game was a mismatch. The Bengals couldn't block anyone and the Titans and their great defensive line, they took advantage getting to the quarterback eight times. But Ryan Tannehill literally gave that game away. He cost the Titans that playoff game against the Bengals, throwing multiple just putrid interceptions that your team cannot afford to throw in the playoffs. So that's last year when the Titans were the number one seed and had home field advantage. And again, I'm trying to be as respectful to Mike Vrabel as possible because I agree with Will. I think he's a top five coach in the league and he might have a legitimate argument as the best coach in the league. And their defense is really good. Derrick Henry, he doesn't slow down. But when it comes to the quarterback position, I just cannot trust Ryan Tan. I think for that matter, when you look at that game in particular, Derrick Henry I'm surprised he played in that game. They had to kind of allow him to cook up, and that's where you saw the inefficiency, the interceptions. And now, hopefully by that time, if they were to play on a football field, whether it's in Tennessee or Kansas City, they're going to be able to run the game through Henry. And that's the thing I like about this team is they're going to play the style that they want to play no matter where they are. Physicality travels along with, you know, the game, along with the players. So, Hey, who knows? I think the teams outside of the division that the Chiefs are in are actually more scarier than those teams are, that are in Kansas City division. We'll talk about it right now with the AFC's most dangerous team. And, Zach, who's the most dangerous team in the AFC and why? Yeah, guys, so I just mentioned that playoff game uh, with the Titans and the Bengals, and I'll go with the team that went into Tennessee and beat the Titans in that game. I'll, I will go with the Cincinnati Bengals. And for me, what makes this team so dangerous is 
everything could be going wrong, right? I don't trust their head coach, Zach Taylor. Their offensive line still cannot block. Literally, just like that playoff game, right, in Tennessee. That's what I said. The Titans were in a perfect position to win that game. Clear mismatch. They had eight sacks, but the Bengals had Joe Burrow. And he was the best player on the field, and he just led them to victory. And he did the same thing in Arrowhead, uh, going in there, beating the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And this guy is just not afraid of anyone. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, he is not never intimidated. And even without Jamar Chase, he's still making plays. Uh, T. Higgins had a huge game uh, on Sunday in Pittsburgh. And again, like, I don't think the, re- the the head coach and the rest of the roster is anything great. Like, I don't even think the Bengals are winning their own division. I think the Ravens are going to win the AFC North. But at the same time, like in the playoffs, this guy, he's not afraid of anyone or anything. He'll go into any building and at least compete. I think the Bengals are the most dangerous team in the AFC. I'm going to agree with Zach here. Um, to quote Ron Rivera, quarterback, Joe Burrow, quarterback. You know, I talked about Ryan Tannehill. I talk about, you know, all these other quarterbacks in the division, but quarterback, that's the reason why. And one last point before I send the rock over to Zay, you know, I made this point on the last show that we did when we talked about the Chargers and Chiefs game. The AMC West built teams to beat Kansas City. But one thing that the Bengals did and what the Titans did and why they have so much more success against Kansas City rather than the teams in the division that see them every single year is because they build their team not thinking about Kansas City. The Titans build their team off of physicality. They said, I want to ground and pound teams. I'm not thinking about Kansas City. The Bengals, you look at their draft class, drafting a kicker, drafting a a wide receiver over over a lineman. They did things unorthodox. They were thinking about themselves and how they're going to be uniquely different. That's why they are the biggest threat to Kansas City, and that's why the Bengals are the most dangerous team. You know, I I like both your takes, and I think this one's going to get a little reaction to everybody, but I don't care because the most dangerous team in the AFC is in the AFC East, and that's the New York Jets. Jets. It's the defense, baby. Listen, I understand quarterbacks winning football games. We understand we'll win the game, but we talking about a defense that knows how to prevent their best players from scoring the football. We're talking about a a team that shut down Josh Allen at the when he was at his highest. When he was at, everyone's talking about the Bills are going to kill us by 31 points, kill us by three touchdowns. When we was, first of all, nobody... Banks, nobody wants to play against a team that's pissed off, a team that's overlooked, a team that is constantly being berated because their quarterback is lacking play, their quarterback is this and that and third. This defense is pissed off, they're angry, and this is the most dangerous team. This defense can play against anybody in the NFL. That is the scariest thing ever in football right now. A defense that could go up and match up against any team in the NFL, and offenses are worried to see what is going to happen. There's a clear dilemma here, right? The Jets are last in their division, right? They're six and four. But nobody wants to play us still. They're banking on the Jets not going to the playoffs. So if we make it to the playoffs, that defense is going to show up, and we're going to show out against any team in the AFC. It's dangerous. The Jets could possibly, if they make the playoffs, hit the Super Bowl based on their defense alone. That is a scary dynamic. No offense wants to see this Jets defense because of Sauce Garner. You know, everyone tests the sauce, but they don't like the flavor. Everyone tries sauce that nobody likes the flavor. They don't like it. They try it. We shut down Jamar Chase. Stephon Diggs, you know, he had his little you know, flurries of yards here and there. Gabe Davis shut down. He had to sit, sit on a pine after what we did to him. It was bad. So I'm saying right here, right now, if the Jets could figure out this offensive woes, this is the most dangerous team in the AFC. Yeah, I'll say quickly with their defense, like a lot of people have said, like looking at this Jets schedule, it's really hard. And it is. We The Jets have a few winnable home games coming up this week against the Bears. The Lions have a Thursday night game against the Jaguars. But then you look at the rest of the schedule. They go to Miami. They go to Buffalo. They go to Minnesota. They go to Seattle, which are not going to be easy games. But I think 
with this defense, the Jets have a shot to beat anyone at any time. I, they're that good. And while like saying they're the most dangerous team in the AFC, that's a spicy take. And I, I like the creativity where you're going with that there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And uh, I think these next few games are going to show us a lot. Just how good is this defense? For the past few weeks, yeah, they've been the best defense in the NFL. Can they continue that? And shout out to uh, Robert Sala as well, because last year without any players, the Jets had the worst defense in the league. But all of a sudden, you have Carl Lawson back. Quinnen Williams takes the next step. You have Sauce Gardner. You sign uh, a safety and free agency from Tampa Bay who's playing well. This defense can play, man. I agree. Just a time check here. Zach, how much time we got? Yeah, I'm actually going to be heading out now, boys. But I just wanted to say have a happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate Thankful for both of you guys. Thankful for the show. And uh, happy to be here as always. It was fun. Appreciate you stopping by, Zach. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to begin here and pick up where you left off. When we talk about the AFC's most fraudulent team, I'm going to go with the Jets. They're the most fraudulent team in the AFC. And the reason why I say so is because although they have them and the Patriots in this division probably have the two best defenses in the total AFC, along with the Broncos in the AFC West. And I get all that. But to quote Juan Rivera once more, quarterback quarterback okay that creates an imbalance football team right when you have the weakest link being your quarterback that cannot be a weakest link going into the playoffs that has to be it don't have to be your biggest strength but it has to be you know at least fundamentally good and i don't even think with the benching of zach wilson that that fixes anything i don't think joe flacco is a guy that i trust in the playoffs at this stage in his career he won a super bowl years ago he is not mobile. Guys are going to attack him. The line stinks. He's going to be like Matt Ryan, okay? Going to have flashes, but not enough to keep the pitcher HD, okay? um, You talk about Mike White. If he's the guy, which it looks like he's going to be the guy, like I said, he could be the Heisenberg of the NFL, or he could be Mike White. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Jets being my most fraudulent AFC team. You know, I'm going to keep it in the AFC East, but it's definitely not the Jets. You know, I'm actually going with the team that leads the division currently, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Their defense is horrible. We're talking about a defense that's giving them the fourth, fourth most points in the AFC. They, they stink. That defense stinks. I, I, once Xavier Howard's off the lineup or he's hurt, that defense can't stop nobody. They couldn't stop a door from closing. They can't stop a window from shutting. They can't stop the breeze from coming in. It's bad what this Dolphins defense does. It's horrible. And um, <clears throat> we talk about Tua talk of Valoa, you know, um, you know, great dude, you know, nice, nice individual. I'm glad he's having a, a uprising season. You know, I'm pretty sure he comes from a great family, came from a great college. You know, it's, it's fantastic. But the man, you know, that, that offense is not all that, you know, they, they have a lot of holes in that offense that's saved by Tyreek Hill and Waddle, but it's not that good of an offense. And I'm just completely, being completely honest. You know, Jeff Wilson had a great year on week two weeks ago, which is fantastic. But it's, it's not that impressive. You know, they put up, what, 17 points against the Bills or something like that, or 20 points against the Bills. They don't play elite defenses on a, often, on, a, on a current basis, on a consistent basis. They play a lot of teams that give up a lot of points, you know? And I think that's something that needs to be said more often about this Dolphins team because they're not playing against teams that are elite. You know, they're winning games off the whim of that other teams are making a lot of mistakes. And you know, the teams that they play are not really consistent. So when um we look at what this Dolphins um team is in its totality – their defense is horrible, and their offense is just essentially, you know, scraping and scraping up these little points here and there. It's not it's not a, an explosive offense that people or people um, assume it is. So for me, I'm going with the Dolphins being the most fraudulent team in the NFL, in the a, oh, excuse me, in the AFC, 
And then we're going to see as the season goes on that the Dolphins are going to deteriorate. I mean, look, Tua has been playing MVP style football. If he can keep that up in the playoffs, any bit with those weapons on the outside, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I mean, that's not a team that you want to see with that explosive offense. I understand the defense is suspect, but guess what? The offense could be a criminal. I anyway, let's move on. Real quick, before we change the next topic, it's the if, because the AFC East is so tight-knit. It's I mean, an if they meet the playoffs. Isn't that no this guarantees? world is built off ifs, bro. If we make it past 2030, if COVID don't come back, okay, the world is built off ifs. So let's see what ifs are really facts or realities. Anyway, let's move on to the next joint that we have here. The AFC's most disappointing team is who's a? Mm, I could go with a number of teams all in the AFC West. <laughs> that's the crazy part. I'm going to go with a team that I thought would have a good year, and that's the um, Denver Broncos. I thought the Denver Broncos would have a, were going to have a good year because Russ Wilson was there. I thought he was a benefit, uh, a main factor of why the Seattle Seahawks are doing good. And I have to, you know, unfortunately um, – take the medicine that I dished out early in the season, talking about they'll win a lot of games. So the Denver Broncos are the most uh, disappointing team in the ASC. Um, I understand that their defense was um, earlier in the season really good, really well. They was able to stop anybody. Um, but unfortunately, that offense couldn't get anything going. You know, even with a nudge, they couldn't start, They couldn't even push forward to getting the points on the board. They couldn't do anything. And Russ Wilson was the main issue with that. But Russ Wilson was absolutely horrendous this first half of the season. I think currently most disappointing. Um, you know, same reasons why I, I said about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm saying about Russ Wilson and the Denver Broncos offense. It was just horrible. They can't get anything going. And, um, you know, even with Sutton and Judy early in the season, Russ Wilson couldn't find these guys. The chemistry wasn't there. I don't understand what was going on with Russ Wilson um, that he's unable to find his receivers open at that. Not even like they, they're not getting open. They're wide open and he's not finding them. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's ridiculous how, uh, how much of a drop off Russ Wilson was from Seattle all the way to, to the Denver Broncos and his offense. It's just not a good look. You know, and, and I know I blame Nathaniel Hackett a lot for being a poor play caller, but the thing that we loved, or at least I loved about Russ Wilson, was his ability to improvise, to being an improviser. And unfortunately, he did not showcase that in Denver because he couldn't get nothing going. So for me, I'm going with the Denver Broncos being the most disappointing team in the AFC. Um, You see, I'm going to stay in that division. There's a lot of options in the AFC West. First of all, that's the most disappointing division in football, the fact that the Chiefs have this division won already before Thanksgiving, when every single team was aggressive in the offseason, is a joke. Okay, right now, because there's so much options, I feel like Deshaun Watson going to a massage parlor. I got so many options here with this teams in the AFC West. I'm just like, I can go Raiders, I can go Broncos, I can go Chargers. Bodies, 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 bodies. <laughs> that's exactly why. I, that's exactly what I was going to. Shout out to um, Franklin Saint. You know what I'm saying? But let me be a devil here. Okay, I'm gonna go with the charges right now, and the reason why is because I picked them to win this conference. If anybody, if I expected anybody to dethrone the Chiefs this year, which I did, it was the Charges. Right, I understand the Raiders got better. They should be way better than where they are right now. Same thing with the Broncos. But the charges, man, how you lose to Kansas City two times this year in your two meetings and last year you split and should have swept them last year. Like, that's not good. Now, granted, there's still hope for the charges. They are 500, I believe, or maybe a game over 500. Maybe I think it's a, a game over 500, six and five. They have a chance that if they get into the playoffs and they get healthy, 
they could be moved into the most dangerous team category. Don't get me wrong. But as of right now, the fact that they just lost to Kansas City, every time they have a lead, they have the game one, they outperform the Chiefs, they cannot beat the Chiefs. That's disappointing. Brandon Staley, he's a clone. This man, I don't know who this man is. Fourth and inches punting, fourth and inches, get this clone out of here. Will the real Brandon Staley please stand up? I don't know who this guy cat is. I don't, I don't know. And to see Justin Herbert give it all out there. And they still lose. They lost back-to-back games in primetime and games that they could have won. They are my most disappointed AMC team. Anyway, let's move on up to the NBA right now as Ben Simmons. Okay, let's talk about him. As you look at the bottom of your screen, what do you see? What should be our biggest takeaway after Ben Simmons returned to Philly last night? Zayda Mike is yours. Um, his um confidence was there. He was attacking. He was willing to to make plays with his teammates. Um, he was willing to um go and dunk the ball. Uh, that was a huge issue. I mean, it was the issue before, but now he's more aggressive. And I think his uh game in Philly, playing in that stature, embracing the fans before the game. He was in the crowd taking pictures, signing autographs. You know, embracing the booze and and playing the way he was playing. That's the Ben Simmons that people fell in love with. That's the Ben Simmons people adored and loved and called him a promising young guy in the league. You know, I think the biggest takeaway was that he he found his confidence. You know, he didn't duck his tail between his legs and and not play um hard, not play gritty, not allow people to get into against his mental and play the way that they wanted him to play. He played the way that Ben Simmons always played, and in Philly, and and it gave, it gave promise to what could come in in Brooklyn if he continues to play in that stature. You know, he was aggressive. He was um finding guys cutting. He was directing traffic, going after rebounds, going after assists. Um, going after steals, playing gritty defense. You know, one particular play in question, he stole the ball and slapped the ball to the other side of the court for uh for a fast break dunk before the halftime, and he always stares down the Philly bench, yelling at them. You know, like I'm here. And, you know, and that's something that the fire that we that people were um looking for in Ben Simmons was there last night, and um you know it's a good performance for him. I think you know the Brooklyn Nets have a lot more issues. Like I stated, Brent Simmons wasn't going to be the end-all, be-all. They have too many issues on that defensive side of the floor where guys are being lackadaisical. They're not playing um 48 minutes of basketball on the defensive end of the floor. They're taking plays off, and that's something that Brooklyn cannot, um, unfortunately, um, do. They, they don't have the, the, the luxury to take off on defense because they need all 48 minutes, all guys to be on the floor playing hard all the time because if not, guys are going to score on them. It's just that easy in the NBA when you don't have a, an, uh, an elite-level center because Nicholas Klassen, as well as he is, as good as he is, he's not great. And that's the issue. The Nets need a great rim protector in order to contend in the um, Eastern Conference. So I think for me, biggest takeaway, Ben Simmons did a fantastic job. I would say this before I get into the Ben Simmons side of the ordeal here. I'm not going to lie. I felt robbed last night. I felt robbed as an NBA fan last night because of the matchup and who wasn't playing. And I've been feeling like that for the better part of the last couple of weeks. You know, last week, John Morant, I want to see John Morant and Zion go at it. The Pelicans and the Grizzlies, they played last week. Instead, I got Jose Alvarado and John Morant. Now, no shots at Jose Alvarado. I love what he brings from a defensive standpoint and all that. But I want to see Zion and John Morant. I can't remember the last time I seen that matchup, right, since they both been drafted. Okay, um, you know, the Warriors and the Pelicans played a couple days ago. Clay was out. Steph was out. Zion, of course, is not there. You know, um, Kawhi Leonard, low management. I'm feeling robbed, right? And it's funny because 
I'm not confident in the Brooklyn Nets right now because when you look at this game, they won this game last year with James Harden and Joel Embiid. They went into Philly, won that game. Ben Simmons didn't even play. He was on the bench. They played James Harden and Joel Embiid and won this same game. And the fact that they lost this same game without those two guys is very alarming to me. Now, as far as Ben Simmons, I agree. The confidence is the biggest thing when it comes to him and his game. Right, that was his biggest problem is the confidence. He always had the skill, right? Obviously, he has his limitations, he has his weaknesses, he has his strengths. Most people do, but it was a confidence to apply your strengths and, and make your strengths even more your strengths. And I think that was the biggest thing. And so far, the last couple of games, he's been playing confident, and that's the thing. Before these last couple of games, he was literally not looking at the rim. Not looking to score, not looking at anything. And there's other ways you can put the ball through the hoop. You don't have to shoot it. Sky hooks, you know, floaters, turnaround jumpers, different things. You can do a lot of different things to get the ball in the basket to get your points. You don't have to shoot the rock. You don't have to shoot from three. You can do a whole lot of things, spinning hooks, all that, etc. Now, I do think under Jack Vaughn, they it's give and take how they look under him. I think the ball movement has been better. Part of that, obviously, could be Ben Simmons being on the floor and how he pushes the pace and transition. But also, the shooting has been a little bit better. Let's look at um Steph, Seth Curry's and Joe Harris's numbers. Combined, they were 29% under Steve Nash. Under Jack Vaughn, they're 39%. So they're shooting better. So there's give and takes about the Nets. They will show flash, flashes of what they can be. They can score the basketball. The ball movement, like I said, previously stated, has gotten better. But defensively, they're still a liability. They can't go to fly. They can't go to beat. They can't go at anything. And also, rim protection is a big thing. With Nicholas Claxton, it's good and bad. They lead the league in block shots. So they're doing something right. He's doing something right, right? But at the same time, we all know that against Embiid, he doesn't stand a shot. Against um, Jokic, he doesn't stand a shot. Against any big, even Montez Harrell dominated the boards in the low amount of minutes he played in this game. Okay, so... That's how I look at the Nets. But as far as Ben Simmons in particular, I like the fact that I'm seeing the confidence coming back. And I think if he can continue to be confident that the Nets could be a middle-of-the-pack team in the NBA at best for right now. You know, I think the biggest thing about Ben Simmons was um, that people reported was that he's afraid to shoot free throws. He's afraid to be at the line and stuff like that. I didn't see that in Philly. You know, he was aggressive. He attacked. He uh, he wanted the ball in his hands. I, I saw and um, that's something that's important. And hopefully he takes that with him for the duration of the season because his Nets team needs it. You know, I think Kyrie and KD, as, as good as they are, I think they're um, they're starting to get low on gas. You know, they, you see they're slowing down little by little. Uh, Kevin Durant talking about in a press conference that um, he's not able to just shoot threes open, wide open. I'm not getting open shots. So, you know, that means that somebody needs to take home. It can't be Kyrie because Kyrie's another person who takes tough shots. So we need some. they need somebody to um, alleviate that pain of just scoring the basketball, being aggressive. And of, if Ben Simmons could just do that for a first half, right, he doesn't have to be aggressive for a full game. If he could take which, whatever half, whether the first or second half, where he's fully aggressive, he's attacking, he's trying to put points on the board, it alleviates pain for KD and Kyrie because a coach cannot plan for Ben Simmons um, going off on a nightly basis. You know, he'd rather get a first half or a second half. It doesn't have to be a full 40 minutes of Ben Simmons going crazy, getting 40 points. But if he could go in spurts of just trying to go after like 10, 11 shot attempts and when the first or second half, that's all it takes for KD and Kyrie to get open because the coach are going to adjust 
to um them getting um open um Ben Simmons driving in the paint so much than KD and Kyrie getting open. And you have shooters on the floor, so you do have the ecosystem to kind of optimize and maximize his limitations. You even have this kid, um, Quantanave out here shooting. You know what I'm saying? You even have that kid out there. But I think for Kyrie Irving in particular, if he can just give you something more off ball, because I thought in there were sequences in the game where he was actually scoring off ball. If he can make plays off ball, then the Nets will be even more offensively gifted, I would say, if that's the right word that I want. But anyway, let's move on to the Thanksgiving Day games because, you know, as I get my... Potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, dogs, chicken, turkeys, rabbits, you name it. Look, I got beans, cream. You know it. You know it. We are here jamming. We about to eat. Matter of fact, I'm about to find me some chicken. I'm giving me a head start. So we might as well make it do what it do with this last topic right here and make it count. You know, Zay, we're going to run through this like Usain Bolt here. The final topic, as you are about to see on your screen. Like and subscribe to the channel. Don't forget to do that. Anyway, NFL, Thanksgiving Day games, predictions. Let's get right to it. Let's start off with the first game that we have. The Bills at the Lions, and I ain't lying. Who we going with, Zay? You know, we got to go Bills. Um, Detroit Lions, they, um, even though the Bills, it is the second week in a row they're playing in Detroit. So they're already adjusted to the field. They know how to play, and they've been there for a full two weeks almost. <laughs> so they, they're chilling. Uh, I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills winning this game. Um, really, I don't really need a segue into this. You already kind of know what's going to happen. It's going to take a real miracle on Thanksgiving for Detroit to win this game. A Thanksgiving turkey leg miracle, huh? I mean, look, let's not forget, bro. Let's not forget the Lions have won three straight. Now they are playing with momentum. Now they're going to need a lot of momentum to win this game. But, you know, Buffalo is streaky. We know Buffalo, man. They lost to the Jaguars last year. They lost to the Vikings in which they had a 20 to 7, a 27 to 10 lead. They're not a team that you can just always pencil in, even when you think they are overmatching the other team's opposition on paper. But at the same time, games are not played on paper. Paper don't play. Plays play. So it could be a very interesting game. And that's a quote from the real Lil. That's one of my famous quotes right there. But I'm going to go with the Bills to win this game. You know, I think if you're the Bills, I like what I saw the last couple of weeks rushing the football. James Cook, he came in there. He gave you about, I think it was about 15 plays. 15 snaps he gave you. I want to see 20 snaps for James Cook. You know, they can run the football. Like I said, last week was an outlier. They stopped Saquon Barkley. They haven't been stopping opposing running backs throughout the whole year. If you're able to do that, along with what we know you can do, which is pass the rock, they should win that game. I like Buffalo 34 to 23 as a final score. Oh, let me just go with my score real quick. I'll go um, Buffalo Bills uh, 28 to Detroit Lions 10. Let's move on to the next game, and this is going to be a showdown. This is going to be the Odell Beckham Bowl. Whoever wins is leaving home with Odell Beckham Jr. Okay, as you don't know, these are the two finalists for Odell Beckham Jr. I'm talking about the New York Giants. I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys. It's going down at 430 while I'm eating my chicken leg and my mac and cheese and my yams and everything that I'm eating tomorrow. I'm going to be watching this game at this exact time. I'm going to go with the Cowboys to win this game. I called them the best team in the NFC early on the show. They need to play like it. I think they will play like it in this game. 
so much more talent than the Giants have right now. In order for the Giants to win this game, they're probably going to have to allow, I won't say allow, they're going to need Daniel Jones to make plays. He's going to have to make a, a couple plays because Saquon Barkley is not going to just run over for 300 yards now. So he's going to have to make a few plays. I'm not sure if he can. He doesn't have the weaponry to. I like the Cowboys to run the rock, round the pound. Dak Prescott will sprinkle some of the little stuffing, okay, over there, and they will win this game. Give me the Cowboys. Final score, 27-20. I think they're going to win by a touchdown. So there's a report, actually, that the Giants uh, just ruled out four linemen, offensive linemen, that started the last four games uh, for tomorrow's game. So I'm actually going with the Cowboys to win in, in explosive fashion. I think I'm going with 35-7. Um, the offensive line, not having offensive linemen in that line, in that game where you're, you're trusting of and they have the chemistry built to start against a elite defense um, is going to be daunting for anybody, Daniel Jones included, and Saquon Barkley. I don't know if Saquon Barkley even have 30 rushing yards based upon what, what I'm being what I'm reading. So uh, give me the Cowboys to win in explosive fashion, 35-7. to 7. Um, If they don't win that game, this game, is going to be detrimental to the um, NFC East because they only puts the Giants in a better position to oversee that Philly game. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got the, the Cowboys winning for sure. Now that you brought that up, I'm going to go with the Cowboys 27-17. to 17. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm going to up the score a little bit. I think they went by 10, and my name is not Ben. Don't you get it twisted. It's the real Lil, you know, and I'm going to eat a real meal tomorrow. But anyway, I think the reason why – I love the Cowboys in this matchup is because of what you said. There's not going to be no linemen um, of the continuity of a lineman that you play week to week basis. Right. Um, they're gone. Like I said, Daniel Jones has protected the football for the most part this year outside of last week. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys, we know that D line can get to the quarterback. They forced some errant turnovers on Kirk Cousins. You might have a, re- um, you, you know, Daniel Jones reverting back to what he was doing before, and that's why I believe the Cowboys are going to get the takeaways. They're going to win big. Let's move on to the last game that we have on Thursday night. And this is another one I'm looking forward to. The Patriots at the Minnesota Vikings. And Zay, you can kick us off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a game where I'm, I'm going to be focused and locked into. Um, You know, the Minnesota Vikings just lost 43. Uh, New England Patriots uh, are on a winning streak. Their defense has been good in this, since their bye week. Um, and um, their offense is starting to get it together um, as Mike Jones is having those early struggles. Um, we all know Kirk Cousins cannot play past 1 o'clock. You know, that's that's the issue. This man cannot play at a certain time. So I'm actually going to have the Patriots winning this game 20-17. Uh, to 17. I just think Kirk Cousins, uh, for whatever reason, he cannot get the offense going past a certain time, and I just don't understand why. Um, this man, is his preparation is ridiculous. If the game is not at 1 o'clock, his preparation is just, I don't know. He just don't look at the game, look forward to it. Um, so I'm, for me – I think the Patriots, they played already the best defense uh, against the best defense in the Jets last week. And I think after that, they're going to look at Minnesota as a layup. You know, the defense is not going to be as daunting as the Jets was. Um, so I think for me, I think Mac Jones will be able to pick apart the Vikings. And I think Kirk Cousins is going to have a real tough time against Belichick on Thanksgiving. So give me the Patriots 20 to 17. I'm going to go with the Vikings to win this game 24 to 17. Okay, I like the Vikings. I didn't go to bounce back from that debacle last week. You cannot lose this game after the way how y'all lost the last game. Y'all have to show that your record is what it really is, okay? I'm not fond of the Patriots' offense. I'm very fond of the defense. Their defense could be the best in the NFL, and I get all that. But their offense has been anemic as well, okay? A lot of people talk about Zach Wilson. Deservedly so. But Mac Jones only put up 
what three points himself. The 10 points that they got was a punt return. So he was equally as worse. I think the Vikings offense is going to come back and be explosive. Even though Bill Belichick is going to test Kirk Cousins in prime time, I think this is going to be the game on Thanksgiving that Kirk Cousins wins the game ball, gets the turkey leg, because he's going to perform the best. Give me the Vikings to win this game. And that wraps up another episode of 99 Pod. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving, great Black Friday, and we're going to see you when we see you. Zay, enjoy, and on to the next one. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. You know the vibes, ladies and gentlemen. Before we depart, 